Take your Bibles. If you have your Bibles now, you may have a paper Bible. You may have a digital Bible. You may be taking notes. Listen, if you're taking notes on your device and you're using your Bible, you're multitasking. All right? So whatever you're using, turn over to uh, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3. As you can tell, I'm going to have a good time today. And so why don't you just join me? So the title is The Blame Game. The blame game. This is week number two for family matters. And the family does matter. The family matters to God and the family should matter to us. We in the body of Christ are a family. Today we're going to look at this tough subject of how to deal with conflict. How to navigate through conflict when it comes to family. So I know that uh, there's... A little bit, a whole lot of shaking going on right now just at that word conflict. But listen, there's one thing that we all have in common, and that is conflict. <laughs> it's normal. Everybody say normal. It's normal to be a part of a family that has conflict. We call it dysfunction. But listen, God uses us to bring function to where areas that, that there has been dysfunction. He wants to straight out, straighten out the dis so that we become functioning, functioning families. Families that love one another and grow together instead of growing apart. And you know it's normal to have conflict because we have differing opinions. We have different perspectives. We see things differently. And it's okay to see things differently. It's okay to be different and see things differently. But through communication, we learn how to navigate through conflict. You know, family conflict is not like any other conflict. There's conflict in the PTA and the HOA and the JOB. Let me just run by that one more time. The PTA, there's conflict with your children at school. And you may get into conflict with their teacher or somebody else on the PTA and the PTA or somebody maybe on the, the sports field. Parents have conflict with other parents on the, the, the sports field. And, you know, there's conflict and, and, and conflict where you go and uh, HOA, where you live, your neighbors. Anybody ever, ever, ever had a conflict with your neighbor? Oh, my goodness. And the Homeowners Association always results in conflict. Conflict here, conflict there, right? How about the J-O-B, the job, <laughs> your coworkers? You have conflict with them. Somebody lied and blamed it on you at your job. That's never happened to you, right? It only happened to me. But there's conflict. There's conflict all over the place, but there's no conflict like conflict in the home conflict in the family. It's, it's at another level. It's at another level. You know, if you win an argument at home, you really haven't won anything. Being right. We're going to talk about being right. Are you right? Or are you wrong? You know, we're, we're not all the same. I'm going to be a little bit transparent today. And I know that you can handle that because I'm like you and you're like me and we, you know, we can't get away from our past. Now, the blood of Jesus covers us and covers our past and by 
His Spirit and through His Word we can change. But our past is the past and the Lord wants to remind us where we came from. Remember that. Remember that. Paul never forgot where he came from. So I remember where I came from. I grew up in a house that just ignored everything. It doesn't exist. If we don't look at it, it doesn't exist. I learned how not to talk from my father who didn't talk and his father who, guess what, didn't talk. And if, listen, if we have a problem, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to sweep it right up under the rug, hope that it goes away. But the only problem with that is the more you sweep under the rug, the bigger it gets, and there's a hill there, and somebody is going to trip and fall over this big hill of stuff under the rug. I learned how to be a non-communicator, and I was very proud of it. Yes, I keep the peace because I don't talk. That's what I thought, guys. Just being real with you. That's what I thought. But there's a war raging on the inside, even though I wasn't saying anything with my mouth. So when we got married, Pastor Sheila and I got married 31 years ago, we talked about this situation, about my family was just non-confrontational, we didn't talk. If there was any problems in the home, I never knew about it until I was 15 years old and my parents got a divorce. And she told me about her family, that they were very explicative <laughs> and very demonstrative and very vocal. And here we go. There's conflict. Because that's the way that she grew up and this is the way I grew up and I'm just going to keep the peace so I'm not going to say anything. But this turmoil and the war within, right? So you have to identify, guys, where you came from. Because how you grew up has an influence over who you are today, right? Now God changes things, but He doesn't just do it with a magic wand. He does it with our determination, we have to decide to do something about it and then find out what the Word says and apply the Word to our life. And that takes T-I-M-E time, right? So, I learned how to be passive and I learned how uh, not to make decisions. My wife, on the other hand, is very quick she thinks a lot faster than I do. I've always admitted that, and I will never not admit that. I will never deny that. She thinks a lot faster than I do, and she knows that, and I know that. And so that in itself is a, a potential conflict because there's times where a decision needs to be made, and she says, why haven't you thought about this? Right? <laughs> Conflict. And I ask myself the question, why haven't I thought about this? Right? So, I saw, lived before me, this attitude of I don't care. Well, where do you want to go eat? I don't care. Well, what do you want to do? 
I don't care. You know, you go on vacation, you spend a lot of money, you get there, you, you, you've got all these pamphlets and all this stuff to do, and you're there, and my mom would ask my dad, well, what do you want to do? I don't care. Where do you want to go? I don't care. So I learned how to live kind of in that passivity or passionless. No passion. And, it, and the, the older I grew, the more I understood that passionless living is not fun living. And so I didn't take, I learned how to not take my wife's questions like, well, why haven't you thought about this? I, I, I learned that I needed to change. And I learned why we were having the conflicts that we were having because I wasn't taught how to make decisions. So, what causes our fights? Do you ever ask the question, and don't do it right here, right now, and you may not want to do it after we leave here, but we need to ask ourselves the question, what causes our fights? There's one thing, one thing, guys. It's in your notes. We blame others. We blame others. It started in the garden, and we see it in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve were told by God, you need to eat from this tree and don't eat from this tree. It was very explicit instructions from God himself who knows all things and knew Adam and Eve in a way that they didn't know themselves. He told them what to do and they didn't do it, right? They ate from the tree that they shouldn't have eaten from. But God, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 11, God visits them and asked Adam a question. I want you to think about this. Here's God who discovered Adam and Eve rebelling, absolutely doing the opposite of what he told them to do. And he had every right to just wipe them off of the face of the earth and start over again. But he comes to Adam in mercy and asks Adam a question as if he didn't even know what Adam had done. Think about that. God is approaching his creation and asking Adam. He goes to the head of the home and asks Adam, what's going on here? Look at this. In verse 11, Genesis chapter 3, verse 11, And God said to Adam, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the man said, the woman. Now, think about that. God asks a question that is, the, the answer is either yes or no. And this man has a chance to undo what he did just by owning up and saying, yes, I did that. I was wrong, I accept the responsibility, guilty as charged. Help me out here. Because God approached him in mercy. But Adam says, the woman, that woman that you gave me, you put her here, that woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. As if to say, if she hadn't given it to me, I wouldn't have eaten it, 
I mean, come on. The blame game. Here's the original blame game. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And the woman said, <laughs> Look at this. The serpent, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So, the man doesn't answer the question. The woman doesn't answer the question. And they're blaming. And from this situation in the garden, we can see, guys, that the challenge that we all face is this one challenge of blaming others. You know, we think the real root of the problem is always with the other person. The root is in the other person. The root is in the other person. You know, we're wired to see everybody else's faults before we see our own faults. And sometimes we're, we're very slow to see our own failures and our own inadequacies. And guys, the truth is, as long as you're willing to blame someone else, you're not going to learn how to deal with conflict. You know, when we're born into this world, we automatically know how to fight. We're born with the ability to fight. We say things like, you blame me when it wasn't my fault. You got to fight on your hands. If you blame me when it was, wasn't my fault, you're, you're in for a fight. you got to fight on your hands because we know how to defend ourselves. We were born with that defense mechanism. And this attitude of, I refuse to take the blame for something that I did not do can easily go one step further to, I refuse to take the blame even if I know that what I did was wrong. It's the blame game. There's just one step between I refuse to take the blame for something I didn't do to I refuse to take the blame for something I know that I didn't do or that I did wrong, right? Right? Wrong? Right? Right? Are you there? You still with me? This blame game. Well, listen, we, we, we should all just throw our hands up and say, yep, I played that, done that, been there. It's not fun. Not fun. Not fun. Let's learn how to, how to navigate this conflict. The next point here is the war within, James 4. There's a war going on within us. There's a war. I like the message version in James chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3. Listen, listen at this. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. You know, like Adam and Eve, well, it just happened. I don't know. I don't know what happened. It just happened. Well, you need to think again. They come about, here, here, here's a good indication here. They come about because you want your own way. You want your own way. And fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and you risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. Your spoiled children, each wanting your own way. Wow. And this tells us a lot about training children. You don't have to say yes all the time. Sometimes it's good to say no just because you can say no to your kids. Right? 
They don't need everything they think that they need. Just like you don't need everything you think that you need. True? It's true. But, guys, sometimes we, we, we have this handicap because we think that God is so good that He gives us everything we need, want, desire, and there's just no limit because we got a sweet daddy God. But listen, there are some times that we don't even need what we think we need. Come on now. And the more that we get what we think we need, what we really don't need, we become spoiled. And demanding. And I want it my way. And I want this my way. And my way. And my way. And my way becomes the way. And then you get in your way. With your selfishness. And that's the war within. We get in, our, in the way of ourself. And what this passage of scripture is saying. That the real source of fighting really doesn't come from the other person. But it comes from within us. Have you, ever, you guys ever been in the middle of a fight and you're so intense in the middle of that fight, you don't even remember why you're fighting? That's a good indication that you're just wanting to get your way. You're wanting that other person to say, Uncle, I give up. Okay, I give. But the more we push and the more we push and the more we push, it becomes evident that we just want our way. And there's, so there's a war within. And, and a huge part of conflict, guys, is the conflict within us. It doesn't even have to do with the other person. If we can resolve the conflict within us, we can be a peacemaker and bring peace to a, a conflicting situation. It's, the, it's a desire that we have within ourselves to get what we want. We need to acknowledge that, realize that. And so we need to stop and think. We need to think, am I right? Or am I fighting for my right to be right? If you're fighting for your right to be right, then you're wrong. No, James is telling us in chapter 4 here, we need to identify the source. We need to identify the source of the conflict. The source of the conflict. Yeah, listen, your enemy is not your wife, not your spouse, not your husband, not your children, and not other people. You know, people say, well, Pastor, I know who my enemy is. It's the devil. Well, that's partially true. Actually, you are your own enemy when you blame other people. When you begin to blame other people and fault find with them and they're the problem, they're the problem, then you become your own enemy. You begin to fight and then uh, uh, fighting is attacking and defending, attacking and defending, attacking and defending. I'll give you one jab and I'll, I'll defend myself. One jab and defend myself. It's conflicting and it happens on the inside of us. And when we're in that mode then the devil operates. And the more we stay in that mode, the more the devil operates and the greater the conflict grows. So the moment that we identify the source and we admit that there's a conflict within us, then 
I can open the door to let peace in the relationship. Number two, we have to admit fault. Admit fault. So the first one is we have to recognize there's a war within us and we want to get our own way. We want to get our own way. Number two, we have to admit fault. Some of us have a very hard time looking in the mirror saying, I'm wrong and I've got to fix this. Because we want to be right. And we view conflict as a personal attack. It's the passage about the pole and the splinter. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through, 1 through 5. I'm going, to, I'm going to read it in two different versions. I'll first read it in the New International Version. It says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Here's the way it says it in the message. Don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your own face is distorted by contempt? Wow. What we need to do is look at the mirror and look at, our, look at ourself. Here's the mirror, God's Word, and we need to do a self-inspection. We need to look in the mirror and see if there, in fact, is a pole. And you know there are different sizes of poles, but a pole is a pole. I like, I like the fact that they use pole because a pole is much bigger than your eye anyway, right? And a splinter is, is smaller than your eye. But with a pole in your eye, you can't see anything. So it's time that we, we look. We, we have to admit that a lot of times we walk around with a pole in our eye. And when we're looking at others, we should be looking at ourselves. And most of the time uh, that we've had a conflict... In our own life, I'd just be transparent with my relationship with my wife. I'm telling on myself, not my wife, because I respect her enough. Nobody's perfect, right? But I can, I can talk about myself and help you. And that's why I do, unashamedly. But when I'm in a conflict with my wife, the conflict's in me, and I don't identify it, and I think the conflict is with her, and probably I'm the one that started it. I pray, <laughs> finally, sometimes. Don't smile, I know. Sometimes it takes a while to get unmad, quieted down. Okay, Lord, I'll pray, because I know what you're going to say anyway. <laughs> and ask the Lord what to do. And if I'm willing to listen to the Holy Spirit, he always says this. Always. 
without exception. 31 years of marriage, guys, he always says this. Go and make it right. Admit that it's your fault. And at that very moment, I have a choice to focus on what I did or continue to focus on what she did after I started the conflict (laughs) most of the time. Guys, the key, and it's in your notes there, the key to resolving conflict is to listen to the Holy Spirit. But again, you've got to be willing to pray. You've got to be willing to open your ears, open your heart, get over yourself, move your emotions aside, and truly listen to the voice of God. You know, I've learned that most of the time, the fact that I'm in the middle of a conflict is because somehow I got offended by something that was said or not said, or I got offended by something that was done or not done, that put me in the middle of a conflict. So we have to go first. Go first. Look at, look at, look at, your, look at your neighbor and say, go first. Now look at, your, look at your other neighbor and say, go first. Yeah. We always get to that place where we know in our hearts we want resolution, but we're, we're, we're desiring deeply in our heart that the other person go first. But really, it's our turn to go first. Or I could say it like this the ball's always in my court, right? I take responsibility to be a peacemaker, to be a peacemaker. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. Matthew 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. The message version is in your your notes too. It says, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You know, because I'm in God's family and God is the, the Father that brings peace and Jesus is the Prince of Peace, then I'm a peacemaker. So I'm not looking for fault. I'm going first. I'm admitting my fault and I'm making peace. I'm not waiting for the other person to reconcile I'm, I'm, I'm taking initiative. I'm doing the tough thing. I'm stepping over the line, the battle line, and doing the right thing. Romans 12, 17 and 18 says, Do not repay anyone. And I put in parentheses right there, including your family. Because a lot of times we apply scriptures for everyone else but our family. Right? Do not repay anyone, including your family, evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. In other words, do your part. Do your part. You're responsible for doing your part. And living at peace takes work. It's not easy, guys. It's one of those tough things that the Lord asks us to do. 
And it doesn't happen naturally. But listen, things left undone become worse. And somebody has to make the first move. So let it be you. Two of the most powerful words in the English vocabulary are, I'm sorry. Right? But those words have to be spoken sincerely from the heart. I'm just here to tell you, after 31 years, there are times where I've spoken those words because I knew it was the right thing to do, but they weren't from the heart. And I had to back up because I was wanting to make peace, but I was still holding on. Guys, you have to go first. You have to be all in. You have to come before the Lord and say, Father, I'm sorry. Forgive me for my part. Maybe I didn't cause everything, but listen, by your grace and because you filled me with your love, I desire to step over the line and be the peacemaker that you made me to be. The third point is forgive. Forgive. Seems like this point's going to be in every message for the next five, four weeks here. We're going to have the five-week series, but this point. It's a common point to everything pertaining to family. Forgiveness has to be high in the atmosphere. Forgiveness. Colossians 3, verse 13. We need to remember, we need to remember this. Colossians 3, 13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, if you have a paper Bible, underline the word remember because you need to remember, because you need to never forget this, because you need to always remember this. So remember and never forget this because you need to remember it because tomorrow you'll probably forget it. So you need to remember this. The Lord forgave you. Wow. When you remember that, that the Lord forgave you, it will always bring you to your knees in thanks and gratitude because he was so gracious to you and allowed you to become a part of his family. He opened, he opened up the doors wide for you because of his love for you. Remember how God loved you and forgave you. So you must forgive others. Now, we can only forgive others much when we know much that the Lord has forgiven us much. So always remember that. Number two, much. Much. Here's Matthew 18, 21 through 22. You may be thinking, uh, well, let me, let me read the scripture. Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Peter asked this question when he was being challenged in his faith. And it takes faith to forgive. And Peter asked Jesus. So, Jesus, you know, Peter thought, thought he was bright at this point. He'd been hanging around Jesus for quite a while, and he understood just a little bit about love, and so he's going to test Jesus by asking him this question. Hey, Jesus, how often should I forgive somebody who sins against me? Seven times? 
And so you can, you can probably understand what he had just done because he was proud of himself for forgiving one of those other dudes that were following Jesus seven times for the same thing, maybe in the same week or whatever. But Jesus raised the bar higher than what Peter thought it was. Jesus said, no, not seven times. Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. So just when we think we've done enough forgiving and we ought to be over it, the Lord says, no, here's some more love. I'm giving you some more of my grace so that you can apply it to this situation because your grace is insufficient, but my grace is sufficient. Right? If we, if we had our way, we would walk away. But we do things God's way, and love covers. Guys, love covers. Love doesn't expose. This is why it's very dangerous to go around telling other people's stuff. It's not any of your business. Even in the New Testament, it says, mind your own business. We don't expose other people's faults. Love covers. Love forgives. Love always goes above and beyond. And so this is what Jesus is saying to Peter. And that word much describes how much God loves us and how much he puts his love in us for other people. Most of the time we get stuck in family conflict because we fail to involve God. How many of us can say that that's true? We, most of the time, we don't, you know, we don't go to the Lord. We try to work it out in our own mind and in our own brain. Well, if I hadn't have done this and you hadn't have done that and we wouldn't be here and blah, blah, and blah, blah, and blah, blah, and how can we undo what was done and, and God's patiently waiting for us to say, hey, okay, listen, doesn't matter what happened, let's do the right thing, let's kneel beside the bed, whatever you need to do, stop, pull over on the side of the road, grab hands, pray, and get God involved. Most of the time we get in our own way. Resolving conflict comes from a place of forgiveness and brings peace. So that's why we have to see that God loves us and be at peace with the Lord. If we've done something to cause the conflict, we admit it. We go to him. We say, Lord, I take your peace because you made me a peacemaker. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to go first. And this I know for sure, that the Lord is able to heal and restore families when we recognize, number one, that most of the time we want to get our own way. It's my way, my way. I want this. I need this. I'm only thinking about myself. The second thing is the Lord's able to resolve when we admit that we're part of the problem. That we're at fault. And then the third thing 
is, is, is the deal closer, is forgiveness. No devil in hell can stand in, a way, in the way of someone that's willing to forgive. Love is the love of God flowing from your heart. As Romans 5, 5 says that, that, that the, 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 the power of the love of God flowing from my heart is the greatest thing that we could ever experience on this earth. That's why it, it amazes us to see when two people stand before God and before people and they get married, they're pledging their love. They are releasing their love and this covenant to one another. And then the, the second most powerful thing is when a baby is born and you see the love between the mother and the baby or the father and the baby, there's a bond taking place there that is totally natural and supernatural at the same time. And the love of God is flowing. Flowing. And so I'm going to encourage you. Think about your family today. Think about what you're going through. Because, listen, the Lord wants to help you go through what you're going through. He doesn't expect you to go through it by yourself or in your own strength or by your own intelligence. He expects you to use his love, loving one another as he loved you. Loving one another as he, have lo as he has loved you. You know, the beginning of solving these problems begins with a walk with Jesus. So if you if you're not walking with Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. If you've never received Jesus as Lord, or you would, you would say you've never began to follow Jesus, that's the first step to resolving any conflict. The conflict within, the conflict in your relationships. So if you want to make that decision today to follow Jesus, very easy. Or maybe you've been following Jesus, but at one time you stepped away. You want to come back. Very easy. The Lord's been waiting for you to make a decision to follow him because he loves you. He's patient, good, kind, loving. If you want to make a decision to follow Jesus today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, something like this. If you're there in your seat, you can pray along with me. Heavenly Father,